I mean, I'm imagining this though is like it's the end of the day. It's like, hey, do y'all have any pizza rolls in the freezer? You know, like <laughs> yeah. something like that. Like, hey, y'all got, got any, some bagel bites? Yeah, you, you got any yuhus in the fridge? Something like that. You know, <laughs> some Capri Suns. Let's all go back to Peter's house. Hello, friends, and welcome to Armchair Theology. Alongside Clay Farrington, my name is Ross Furio, and look, we're still in the Gospel of Matthew, and if I'm being honest, it's only getting better and better and better. Week three of Matthew, and to be sure, the way Matthew kind of builds as a book is just like any good narrative. It just builds, 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 and we're going to hit a crescendo in the passion, obviously, but a lot of times you wouldn't think that the teaching also kind of builds and the tension between Jesus and the Pharisees builds. And so there's all this, like you said, it gets better. It does. So if, if you're just jumping in with us, this is your first episode. We are reading scripture one chapter a day. We're actually posting daily Bible commentary on Facebook right now. So you can follow us on Facebook. And that's hard for me. Like I've been on Twitter for 10 years and yeah, we're kind of moving toward Facebook. We've got a little bit better engagement on Facebook anyway. So that's what we're doing, right? Yep, That's what we're doing. We got a curriculum that's out on our website. If you go to our website and click on the Academy tab, we got Genesis curriculum that is out with more to come. Can I just give a shout out real quick? Sure. Good friend of mine. Some of y'all listening are going to know him. Chuck Kuba from Pensacola, Florida texts me Sunday morning. I get it in between my services and he goes, dude, we just used your curriculum in Sunday school. Loved it. And I'm like, awesome. Would you write me a quick review, like a one sentence review? And he did. And so we're going to try to get it up on the interwebs. Uh, anyway, shout out to Chuck. Love you, buddy. So we got that going on. Uh, we're excited about that. And then we're also taking a trip to Israel next summer, June 4 to June 14. So if you want, if you want to know more about that, if you want to go to the Holy Land with me and Clay, then bring it on. You got plenty of time to, to sign up for that. Make all these stories just come to life. That's right. That's right. Okay, I think that I think that's all of our business. So we're so we today we are in Matthew chapters eight, nine, and ten. That's it. And we just finished the Sermon on the Mount, which was five, six, and seven. And now we go from Jesus's words to Jesus's deeds. We do, and it it's a it's a real shift because you realize when you hit chapter eight that we really haven't seen Jesus performing any miracles or doing any healings. At least we haven't gotten the details of those stories. We we know that it's been happening, that he's been preaching and teaching and healing to the crowds, and he has this following now. But we don't really get into the nitty-gritty of these moments until chapter 8. Oh, we're going to get it today. And suddenly it's like back to back to back to back is healing and miracle and, and all this stuff. All those things. But I want to I tie it back to the Sermon on the Mount. It's not like... Jesus' words were one thing, and then his deeds were another thing. There are these bookend passages, one's at the very end of chapter 4, and then one is near the end of chapter 9, that just kind of holds all this together, implying that Jesus' words and his actions were working together to create something that otherwise would not have had the same impact. And, and let me just read them. So one is chapter four, verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And then you have almost a mirror verse in 935, Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. So those two kind of create this, the the word I was taught when we were learning how to do exegesis and stuff is they create an inclusio, yeah. which holds it all together, right? Yeah. I'm sure that's yeah. a Latin word that yeah. means inclusion or bookends. Yeah. Anyway, so so what's cool is Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount suddenly become actions in what we're going to read today, which I think is cool. Right. And, and if, if nothing else, it's an indicator that what we're going to read about is about to shift. Right. And we're about to see some... We're about to see Jesus's hands get in the dirt, essentially, right? We're well, about to see Jesus actually do what he has been preaching. One way to look at these two chapters, eight and nine, or at least most of chapter nine, is that there are 10 miracles. 
So we, we just had, you know, like Jesus standing on the mountain, giving the Beatitudes, which almost kind of reflects the Ten Commandments, and then the rest of his yep. teaching where yep. he is contrasting and comparing his teaching with the law. Yep. So you have this comparison of Jesus to Moses. Yep. Now you have these 10 miracles. And so, and they're split up and in between, like you'll have three and then you'll have some teaching, like a miniature teaching on faith, basically. Yep. And then three more miracles. So let's just dive right so, into So yeah, it. it starts right at the beginning of chapter eight. I mean, chapter eight starts when Jesus had come down from the mountain. So again, he was up on the mountain preaching the sermon on the mount. He comes down from the mountain and immediately he encounters a leper. Right. Yeah. A man with he, leprosy he, yeah, came ahead. and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. But then here's a weird thing. Jesus goes, see that you don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony. Now that's a throwback to the Torah. When you were cleansed, you were supposed to go be checked by the priest and then offer whatever sacrifice it was. Right. But the whole don't tell anybody... Yeah, it's something that we we see peppered in a little bit in Matthew. It's not really consistently said. It's something that is very consistent in Mark. So when we get to Mark, I think we'll talk a little bit more about it. Yeah. But it's just this interesting build of suspense almost of when will everybody know? When will the secret be out? When will people be shouting it from the rooftops, right? Because it just kind of makes it seem like that time isn't quite here yet. Yeah. Notice, too, the faith of the leper. It wasn't like, hey, can you do this? It's, I know that you can if you're willing. And that's going to be very similar to the very next person that Jesus encounters, which is a Roman centurion. Yeah, and and this one is a little bit longer. I mean, Jesus enters Capernaum, and a centurion comes to him and says, look, my servant is lying at home paralyzed. He's in terrible distress. And Jesus says, I will come and cure him. And the centurion says, look, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. And it leads to this moment where Jesus does end up going, but he also says that the centurion's faith is the greatest faith than he has encountered in all of Israel. Well, the other thing the centurion says is just say the word and my servant will be healed because I know what it means to have people under me and tell them what to do. Right. And I know that you're in the same position. Right. You're not, you're not worthy to have to come under my roof. Yeah. yeah. I'm not worthy for you to have to come under my roof. Yeah, exactly. That's what I meant. So because of that, just speak the word. Just say the word. Just send your cronies, right? Just send your cronies. Whatever, you know, your lackeys, your the people under you. But he does. He says, Jesus says, truly I tell you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. Again, so we have two people with utmost confidence in Jesus' ability to heal the people that they're seeking right. healing for. It's, it's, it's not if Jesus can do it, it's will Jesus do it. Right. Which I think are two very different questions that, that folks ask of Jesus's healing power. And here it's both cases is just, will, will you heal me, Jesus, because I know that you can, or will you heal my servant because I know that you can. Well, let's just name this also. This is a theme in Matthew that those with the greatest faith are all outsiders. You have this centurion who's a Roman, right? A Gentile. You have this leper who obviously is not allowed into the temple because of his leprosy. Right. Later on, we're going to see Canaanites and, you know, you're going to have these people that should be the ones with the least faith who Jesus always says has the most faith while the people who inherited the covenant who should have the most faith show the least faith. Right. Mm. So we're going to just live with that a little bit. That's a good word. We get our first mention of weeping and gnashing of teeth at the very end of the. Oh, uh, I was hoping you'd say that of the centurion's moment with Jesus, um, and to me, it just kind of feels like a reality check. Do you want to read it from your from your translation? Yeah, right after Jesus said, "No one has as much faith as this guy." Then in verse eleven, he says, "I say to you, many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast." with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that language is something we're going to see pretty consistently later on in Matthew when Jesus 
kind of teaches more with an eschatological edge. Yeah. Uh, so this is kind of a preview of what is to come with Jesus's teachings. Yes. And, and I want to say that he's blurring the lines between insiders and outsiders, but it's more than that. It's more than blurring the lines. It's sharp. It's flipping the table over, yeah, right? It's, it's sharp. Those who thought they were in, they're out. Those who have never been welcomed. Yeah, all, all of these, of all of in. these people are going to come thinking that they're insiders, and what they're going to find out is that they're not. Ouch. And then, hey, it comes a little closer to home. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in a bed with fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on them. Yep, yep. And then that it goes on that evening. They brought him many who were possessed with demons, and he cast out spirits with a word and cured all who were sick. And then it says, this was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. Yeah, so that's a, a reference back to Isaiah. I did write down some of the uh, Old Testament quotes that they're go- we're going to encounter today, but that one comes from the one of the servant songs, right? Remember, right? By his stripes we're healed, right? Yeah, yeah. So it is it is a little bit of a change of pace, right? First we have a leper, then we have a centurion, and then all of a sudden we have a family member of one of the disciples, and it yep. seems that. Did Peter summon Jesus to his mother's house to heal her? Did Jesus just happen to be there? We don't really get the backstory, whereas before we kind of do, we, we get the approach to Jesus right. from from the person seeking the healing. I mean, I'm imagining this, though, as like it's the end of the day. It's like, hey, do y'all have any pizza rolls in the freezer? You know, <laughs> yeah. like something like that. Like, hey, y'all got, got any, some bagel bites? Yeah. You, <laughs> you got any yoo-hoos in the fridge? Something like that, you know, <laughs> some Capri Suns. Let's all go back to Peter's house. Incidentally, this carve all up, takes place carve up in a sugar hit. Right? Absolutely, uh, this all takes place in Capernaum, and we're going to go there. and And I'm I'm excited because I've stood in this place where Capernaum today is is like an archaeological kind of site, and you can see like obviously the homes aren't as built as they were then. There's no roofs or anything like that, but you can kind of see the walls of some of these roads and right. homes and right. things like that. Right. And there's there's a museum with a glass floor built over the home that they think was Peter's home. And of course, you never know if it's really was, but right. it's cool to be able to see there's this tiny little town. I mean, tiny is the size of a parking lot, right? Right on the edge of the lake. And, and this is where all this happened, which is so cool to me. Anyway, so yes. if you didn't know, Jesus heals the mothers of one of his disciples. So cool, right? It's yeah. mother-in-law, right? Mother-in-law. Isn't it mother-in-law? Yeah, mother-in-law. And then it ends in a teaching, or maybe it doesn't end, but from 18 to verse 18 to verse 22, you got this, when Jesus saw the crowds around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. And then a teacher of the law came to him and said, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And another disciple said, hey, first let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own. So it's just emphasizing this high cost of what it means to be yeah, a, a and disciple. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think this may be the beginning of something that we're going to see a few times today where it's looking back and looking forward. Oh, yeah. And there's some tougher scriptures that are coming up today. I think maybe one towards the end of chapter nine and another one in chapter in chapter 10. Yep. That that really apply pressure to what is what is your priority and what are you willing to give up to follow Jesus? Mm. And this one and another one speak directly about family. And yeah. I think they can be misinterpreted and misused and taken out of context. But to me, how I always read them is, are you spending more time looking back or are you spending more time looking forward? And that seems to be what Jesus is applying pressure to, that tension to this disciple right here. And it's worth saying that oftentimes we want the discipleship without the cost, right? Mm -hmm. Like we want all the benefits without any of the suffering or anything like that. And this is just a reminder that call to follow Christ isn't just to get out of hell free card. It's a, yeah. it's a call to which, sacrifice. Right. Which is something that we saw all the way back in the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, this is nothing new. This is consistent with what Jesus has been teaching and projecting since we started to listen to him here in this gospel. It's just that again, I mean, man, this is sharp. Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. I mean, that's tough. You know what it reminds me of is when David, uh, 
wanted to buy that, I think, threshing floor or a field in order to stop the... Yeah, the, far be it from me to give to God something yes. that costs me nothing. Yes. It's got that same vein it? in it, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it does. So anyway, I think I think some folks get tripped up with with 21 and 22 here, those verses. And I think for good reason, they're, they're tough. I do think the handrail, and I think you'll see it more as we keep going, is that tension of looking back and looking forward. Totally agree. Notice what we've done so far now, and we're, we're not even at the end of chapter eight. We've had three miracles and we've had a teaching right on faith, right on the requirements to follow Jesus. Right. And now we go back to three more miracles. Right. This time it's not healings per se, or it is at the end, but it starts with uh, Jesus commanding the waves and the wind. Such a good story. And and we get this story in other gospels too, and uh, different gospel tellers tell it slightly differently. In Matthew, Jesus gets in the boat. His disciples follow him. A windstorm rises up on the sea. It's so great that the boat was being swamped by the waves. And then the kicker. Wait, but before the kicker, Jesus is sleeping. That was the is kicker, that the bro. Kicker? <laughs> that was the kicker. I mean, Matthew like paints this image. It's like Jesus gets everybody on the boat. They set out across the sea. Suddenly the wind kicks up. The waves are huge. And it's like the camera pans down to the front of the boat. And Jesus is <sighs> passed out snoring, right? <laughs> and you see how small those boats are? Uh-huh. If you're in the Getting front of the boat. around. Like that means he was laying in water, right? I mean, he is just just drenched. He has to, it's not like he had a little V birth cabin down below where he's, you know, snoozing and dry and that's not it. No, man, he is asleep. And so they go and wake him up and they say, I think what most of us would say, Lord, save us. We're perishing. God, do you not see that we're about to die? Yeah. And Jesus says to them, why are you so afraid? Wait, first he says something before that. Go ahead. You of little faith. Our translations are a little different. Oh, okay, so yours he, follows This one that. says, okay. why are you afraid? You have little faith. Yeah, sorry. Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the sea, and everything was calm. And of course, they were amazed. And they said, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? So this is the first time that we know of that Jesus commands any control over the forces of nature. Again, a la Moses parting the Red right, Sea. Right. So I think the, and, we give the disciples a bad rap here. Yeah. I think their reaction is fair to me because I'm assuming they have not seen Jesus do anything like this. So I think it's fair. They may not fully understand quite yet who he is and what he's capable of, even right. though they should, but maybe they haven't seen this happen yet. But the reason I wanted to make sure that we read You of Little Faith, again, is because of the juxtaposition between here's the, the followers of Jesus, the disciples, yep. and he just talked about what it takes yep. to be a disciple. We have a leper of great faith. We have a centurion of great faith. And the apostles of little faith. Yep. And that's going to be a theme throughout the rest caught, of the book of Matthew. Caught in their own storm, right? Yep. I mean, the leper is caught in his own storm. The centurion is caught in his own storm. The disciples are caught in a literal storm, and yep. they're the ones that have little faith. Right. So the storm comes down, and they make it to the other side of the lake. And now they're on the you know the Gentile side of the lake. And two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. And they start to question Jesus. What are you going to do with us, son of God? What have you to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? And then just as they're saying that, a large herd of swine was feeding at some distance from him. And the demons started to beg Jesus, if you cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And so he did. They did. And then all the pigs ran into the lake and drowned. Yep. Can pigs not swim? Hmm. I don't know. That's a good question. Isn't there, like, there's a Caribbean island where there's pigs on the island, and they come out and into the... And they do the, swim. People pay, I think, like, stupid amounts of money. Do they swim, I mean, or do I'm they sorry. just come out and wade in the I'm, water? I'm sorry if you're one of those people. I'm sure somebody <laughs> could be listening. It's always seemed a little ridiculous to me to go to the Caribbean and then pay to swim with pigs. Maybe it's... Maybe it's great, and I'm just missing out. I don't know. Could be fantastic. Life-changing, even. <laughs> Anyway, I don't know the answer, but but what happens here is that they run off a cliff or into the deep water or whatever. They all drown. Yeah. And then the people from the town are like, hey, Jesus, uh, could you go somewhere else? 
Yeah, I mean, they say more than that. Then the whole town came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their neighborhood. And yeah. so he does. And you know what's interesting? He models here what he's about to tell the disciples to do when he gives oh, them their mission. Oh, yes. And we'll get to that in a second, but I just realized that. Good call, he Ross. He comes in, performs a miracle. He's not welcome, and he kicks the dust from his feet, gets back in the boat, and leaves. I'm so proud of you. Great, great That's good stuff. That is good stuff. And that's how chapter eight ends. So chapter eight ends, and, and there's one third of our reading today. Yeah, and so chapter nine begins with, and after getting into the boat, he crossed the sea and came to his own town. So we just get like one brief episode of him on the other side of the lake in Gentile territory. Then he gets back in the boat and comes into, even the scripture says, his own town. He comes back home. Yeah. Yep. Which is cool, which I presume is Capernaum. Anyway, yeah. somewhere on it that. Seems. Yeah. Yeah. On, on the Galilee, on the on the east, I mean, on the west side of the lake. So if you're keeping track, right, we had the teaching of the folks, you know, foxes have holes, birds have air nests, all that stuff. And then we had the storm stilled. Yep. We had the demons cast out. So yep. we're due for one more healing miracle story before our next teaching. Yes. And it's one of my favorites. It's a little different than some of the other gospels. I want to say Luke has this story taking place inside a house. But in, in this situation, they land on the on the side of the shore or whatever, and some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. So again, right? It's like you can't not see the compare and contrast of the faith. Yes, Yes. Of the disciples' faith and of those coming to Jesus seeking wholeness. And what's interesting here is that it's not even the guy's faith. It's his it's friends', his friends. Faith, Which should raise all kinds of questions. And I don't I'm not sure I've got the answers to them, but anyway, so of course he says, you know, your sins are forgiven, and the teachers of the law are like, Well, this guy's blaspheming. Yeah. Like no one can forgive sins. And Jesus is like, Oh, Okay, well, which would be tougher then? Well, we get something that I don't think we've seen Jesus do yet. Then some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming, but Jesus perceiving their thoughts, Ooh. Jesus getting in their head, knowing what they are thinking, mm. say, why do you think evil in your hearts? And then he says, for which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and walk. Yeah, and then, of course, he goes on, because y'all know this story, but so that you know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Yep. And he did. And he stood up. He went to his home. When the crowd saw it, they were filled with awe, and they glorified God who had been given such authority to human beings. Again, the contrast. When the disciples see him still the storm, what do they say? What sort of man is this? Right. That even the winds and the seas obey him. When the crowds see him heal a paralyzed man, they glorified God. Ooh, yeah. Who had given such authority to human beings. Yeah. Dude, there's all sorts of compare and contrast going on here that I I haven't really seen. There really is. Yeah. And a lot of it also, I think, comes back to to what you were saying about looking backwards and looking forwards. Which direction are we looking here? You know? So on that note, now we get some teaching again, and he's walking around town, and he sees this guy, Matthew, who's a tax collector, and he says, follow me. And Matthew folds up shop. Got up and followed him. him. Yeah. And, of course, that creates problems for everyone else because now they're like, hey, so Jesus, it's funny, Jesus says, follow me, by the way. We're going to your house. Yeah, by the way, <laughs> I'm hungry. I hope you got some pizza rolls in the fridge. Some bagel bites. <laughs> we some ate them all sons. over it. How's Peter's your mother-in-law doing? <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it, we jump, and as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he, Jesus, heard this, he said, those who were well have no need of, of, of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners. And it seems like it was just a few weeks ago that we were covering Micah. Yeah. And dude. so you've heard this verse before, 
It's, uh, I said Micah, I'm sorry. It's Hosea chapter six, verse six. Yeah. Where Hosea is just blasting the religious leaders for having this same kind of thing that Jesus blasts them for being a little hypocritical. It's like going through the motions, but not, but not having love in their heart, you know? And so go, go and learn what this, can you imagine saying that to like to the, experts the experts of the, of the law? law? Go why, learn what this why means. Why don't you go look this up? Have you, have you ever heard of Hosea? <laughs> right? <laughs> if you have, you may be familiar with this. You, maybe I you've heard this before. mercy, not sacrifice. If, tell me to slow down if I'm getting too far ahead of you. <laughs> and then it's like, for I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. I mean, that's Jesus looking at the people in town that consider themselves to be the righteous, which I think if we allow ourselves to hold up a mirror when Jesus is saying stuff like this, all of a sudden it gets way less funny and way more challenging, right? That's where we have to turn at this point because nobody is listening to a Bible podcast that isn't the people that Jesus is speaking to, including me and you. Am I I wrong? Yeah, I think Christians have a really bad habit of reading scriptures like this and wagging fingers at Pharisees. And I think it has all sorts of harmful influence over how Mm. we look at Jewish people today. And I do not think that's the point of this. I think the point of this is to say, is there a little voice in your head that's telling you that you're righteous? We're the religious leaders, y'all. And if there is, which if we're honest, there is, uh, this is for you. Yeah. No, you're right. I, I feel that way about all of these texts throughout Scripture, that if you don't first look in the mirror when you read them, then you're, you're usually missing the point. But it's especially the point with Jesus speaking to the religious leaders. Yeah, and so it's like, do you look at people and question whether they deserve what they've been given? Do you think that you're better than folks who are around you? That's essentially what the scribes and Pharisees are doing here, right? Mm-hmm. What are you doing eating with those people? We're not really going to let them in the church, are If we're we? honest with ourselves, then aren't we all guilty of something to the tune of that? I mean, I'm sure it's going to look different for all of us, but I mean... I mean, The modern way of saying this is love the sinner, hate the sin. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, they're welcome. They're just not really welcome. Right? So I would hope that you'd be willing to hold up a mirror uh, when you read stuff like this, because <laughs> I think the alternative is is to really discount the impact that words like this from Jesus are supposed to have on us as modern day readers. So it's not just the Pharisees though, who are getting on to Jesus in the next paragraph, we have John the Baptist's disciples. So I want, do you think they're getting on to Jesus here? Or are they just, are they just asking a question because they don't understand? Maybe. Anyway, the, the disciples of John, they come to Jesus and they ask him a question. Why do we, why do we, us and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples don't fast? We haven't gotten to the verse yet. I want to come back to this, but there's a verse later where Jesus is going to say, look, John the Baptist came and he was basically an ascetic. He, he came neither eating nor drinking. And you said he had a demon. I came eating and drinking and I can't remember. Maybe they said Jesus had a demon. Anyway, it's like you didn't like either one of our approaches. That kind of, I feel like this is a, a little foreshadow to that. Okay. But to your point, they ask, why don't you fast? And his answer is, because why would the guests at a wedding fast while the bride yeah, he like, is with them? He like gives an answer, but he, it's not a straightforward answer. It's an answer told in kind of little mini parables. So he says, yeah, he gives three answers. The wedding guests, this is, I mean, why, why do the Pharisees fast often? And why do we fast often? But your disciples do not fast very next verse. And Jesus said to them, the wedding guests cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. Can they, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. Right. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloth for the patch pulls away from the cloak and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. Otherwise, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. And that's the answer. It ends. And then we go to something else next. Right. And again here, I think, to me, I see the looking back, looking forward tension again. Sure. Yeah, well, especially And this is maybe more so living in the present, being aware of the new thing God is doing, or looking back. 
Well, especially, so like I said, there's three answers and they're three different metaphors. And when you look at the unshrunk patch or when you look at the new wineskin, it's easy to see the looking forward, looking backward. I think the the bride and bridegroom analogy is, is to me, it's a little more straightforward about like there's times to celebrate and there's times to, to mourn. It's like, it's like and a, now's the time to celebrate. It's like a wedding is not a funeral. That's, that's kind of, of what he's saying. Like yeah. you don't treat a wedding like a funeral. A funeral right. is a funeral. A wedding is a wedding. They're two different things. Right. And basically, as long as I'm here with you, it's time to celebrate. There mm-hmm. will be time to mourn, but it will be later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he's calling himself the bridegroom, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, with the, with the unshrunk patch and, and the old cloak and all that stuff, again, to me, that's like old way, new way. Um, yeah, I agree. Law of Moses, walk with Jesus. Like I just kind of feel like that's the tension, looking back, yeah. looking forward. You've heard realizing it said, the new thing say, that God is doing in Christ or yeah. shutting your eyes to that and living in in the past. That, Absolutely. that whole tension. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. So we just had another kind of series of teaching on what it means to follow Jesus. And so now we're going to wrap up most of chapter nine with, Teed up with, uh, with four more miracles, three or four. Is it four? It's like four, but it happens in three stories because yeah. two of them That's uh, right. come together. These one are together. Yeah. So while he was saying this, a leader of the synagogue came and knelt down before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Now, interestingly, the leader of the synagogue would be an insider, right? would be considered an insider. Yeah, yeah, I think I think a leader in the synagogue, I think I'm right in saying this, is not very high on the totem pole uh, when it comes to ranks, but still would have been a We're not leader. talking about a leader in the temple, just no, a leader in the local No, we're not talking synagogue. about a scribe, we're not talking about a Pharisee, but a leader in a local synagogue. Mm-hmm. So, you know, someone leading the rituals of a synagogue. Uh, yeah, this is like the Capernaum satellite campus of the yeah, of okay. the mega church down in Jerusalem. Okay. Is that right? I, I can dig that metaphor. Am I going with that? Yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> if there's any evangelicals out there, you're going to understand yeah. that one really quickly. Yeah, yeah. okay. I'm, I'm down for that. <laughs> I do think it's worth noting, though, so... It picks up while he was saying this. So this leader of the synagogue comes and interrupts Jesus. And then while Jesus is about to be on his way to do something for the leader of the synagogue, he gets interrupted again. And I think Jesus's willingness to be interrupted is something that is meant to be noticed here. Yeah, that is supposed to be noticed. It's a woman who says to herself, she's been she's been bleeding for 12 years, it says. And, and she says to herself, if I can just touch his cloak, I'll be healed. And she does. And he turns to her and says, take heart, daughter. He said, your faith has healed you. Again. So he gets approached by a leader of the synagogue. My daughter is dying. I need your help. Jesus says, I'll go. I'll go with you to your house. He's on his way. A woman who's been suffering reaches out and touches his cloak, seeks healing. And again, her faith is commended. Your faith has made you well. Yeah. We're going to, I want to dig into that a little bit more. I think it was Micah that, uh, or maybe Malachi, it might've been Malachi, the whole healing in his wings. Uh Matthew doesn't talk about her teach, uh, reaching out to touch the corner of his cloak. It's either Mark or Luke. And when we get to it, we'll dig into that a little bit more. Sometimes it's translated as the fringes of Jesus's cloak. Um, but yeah, you're right. That's not Matthew shaves off a lot of the details of this story that I know Mark includes. I can't remember if others included or not. Right. It's told much brief in a much briefer way here. Well, so we'll deal with that when we get to it. But the point being that uh, her faith has healed her and he calls her daughter. And so you've got this juxtaposition of her being a daughter and the synagogue leader's daughter who just died. Well, and also all the baggage, right? I mean, this woman would have been bleeding for 12 years, unclean, outskirts of society. Again, an outsider because she's nameless from right. Matthew, Jesus gives her a name as daughter, yep. like all that stuff. I mean, there's so much. The reason that you probably know this story and you've heard sermons on it is because it's so rich. There's so yep. much going on here. Yeah, absolutely. And then it, but it's so brief too, like two, two verses maybe. And then they go on and they end up at the synagogue leader's house and there's a noisy crowd and people playing pipes. And it's like they're as I have been told, there's almost like a show of the morning that's happening, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And Jesus walks up and he's like, go away. The girl's not dead. She's sleeping. 
And they and all they laugh, laugh at, at him because what a ridiculous thing to say, right? I have heard people say, well, they didn't know back then as though people didn't know how to tell when someone was alive or dead, you know? I, I, and so I, I don't think that's the case. I think that they were very aware that she was dead and she was I see dead. What you're, yeah, I've always read it as they were very aware and correctly aware that she was dead, that she had died. Right, right. She was dead. Um, and they laughed, but when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl got up. And then it says, so then, you know, we even get to see this begin to happen here. And the report of this spread throughout that district. So all of a sudden, the, it's no longer a secret, right? I mean, remember right. back to the Centurion, it was don't tell anybody about this. Now we still have sudden, another one of those coming up, though. But now all of a sudden, we get a moment where we we read that the word is spreading about what Jesus is doing. Well, it's like one thing for a leper's skin to be healed and maybe one thing for you a know, centurion servant to be yeah healed. or someone's mother-in-law to get over their fever, fever. yeah it's a different thing when someone who's dead comes to or life. for the disciples to come back and be like did y'all see that he just healed the storm but when yeah but when, that's all hearsay when he raises you know, a dead girl back to life and there's a whole crowd of people there playing flutes and making a public display of their mourning yeah they've already gone through the mourning process uh-huh. yeah yeah so lots of witnesses, and this is something that you can't, you know, you can't fake. Right. Right. Then all of a sudden, people are going to talk. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. So as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. And when he had gone indoors, the blind men came and he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. And Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this, but they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. (laughs) Who can blame them, right? So a few things here. First of all, notice the faith that they have when they first show up by calling him son of David. Have mercy on him. Yeah, and then he basically asked them a question of their faith. Do you believe? Yeah. Do you have the faith in me that I can do this? Yeah. But even even just in their address, you know, son of David, we're going all the way back to Matthew chapter one with the well, genealogy. I was about to say clearly they've read the genealogy. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> it was in his bio. <laughs> they were stalking him on Facebook yeah. and it was in his bio. <laughs> they did. did a little bit of Facebook tracking. I hope y'all see the through lines here, right? It seems like in nearly every instance where there's a healing or a miracle, some commentary on faith is made, whether it's positive or negative. While they were going out, that is the two people that were supposed to be being quiet, and instead they were out telling everybody. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. And the crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, they throw is, a jab here. Oh, man. It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. And then is where we get to that bookend that we had talked about at the very beginning. And it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, preaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And so that kind of wraps up. And then we're going to move into... Uh, it wraps up the season of Jesus' deeds, at least in this moment. And then we're going to get into now we've seen Jesus preach and we've seen Jesus act. Now he's about to send out the folks that have been following him. Yeah, and we kind of get a precursor to that. I mean, right at the end of chapter 9, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, and this makes sense, right? Right before they are they are sent out and they are taught by Jesus with what it's going to look like for them to carry out some of this work that they've seen him do. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Yeah, And that's how we end chapter 9. And chapter 10 picks up with essentially a listing of the 12 disciples and then the mission of those 12 disciples. So I do feel like this tees it up for us. And when it says he had compassion on them because they were 
like sheep without a shepherd, that's a throwback to Ezekiel, and it's in chapter 34. It's like the whole first 16 verses, but just a couple of them, if I read them, one of them, uh, 34 verse 2 says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who take care of only yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? And then toward the end of that rant, God says, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. But what I'm wondering here is, is this a similar kind of thing as when Moses recognized that the needs of the people were too great for him to handle on his own? And like his father-in-law was like, you know what you should do? You should appoint all these people to handle like you teach them how to do stuff and then send them out is that what this is i don't know man because suddenly he looks out he sees the need and he recognizes that the need is greater than for just one guy wandering does his compassion drive him to begin to truly equip the disciples it's multiplication so that the need can be met yeah Yeah. i'm not sure i've ever heard it taught that way but it strikes me that that's what's happening here that's a really interesting way to look at it i think it may make some folks feel a little uncomfortable it's it's kind of like a how seriously are you willing to take the humanity of jesus Mm. fully human fully divine i mean this would this would be a fully human moment here right but it's like it's when he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them then he said to the disciples the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It's like, it's I like, need more hands. It's almost like he just holds his hand out and right. points, you know, motions to the crowd. The harvest is plentiful. Yeah. Clear. Look at it, right? You, you hear it too. Yeah. But there's no laborers. I, I mean, again, let's go back to the mirror. And this then is he an says, ask the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It's like, you're the answer to your prayer kind of thing. Yeah. In a, in a sense, right? Ask the Lord to send out laborers, wink wink. You're the laborer. You're the one that God wants to send out. It's like whenever a pastor says, you know, why don't you go and pray and see if God wants you to volunteer in the children's ministry? I don't think God has ever said no to someone who wanted to volunteer in the children's ministry. Uh, that's a strong statement. I shouldn't say that, but I understand what you're saying. You get what I'm yeah. getting at though. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Man, so, that's a really interesting way to look at that. Maybe. I, I do think it makes sense, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, because we know that in a lot of ways he is doing some work to align Jesus with Moses so that folks can yeah. begin to connect the dots with just how significant yeah. Jesus is. Yeah, well, Moses and David and all of the covenants. So, But I don't know, it just struck me there. And like you said, you've already said at the very beginning of Matthew 10, we get a curtain call of the disciples. It's not really a curtain call. There's actually some spoilers in here. There are some some spoilers in here. And this is the first time I think we get all 12 disciples named, right? Yeah. So it says, Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of those 12 apostles. And then he lists them. Simon, also known as Peter, his brother Andrew, James, his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, James, Thaddeus. James, son of, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Yep. Yeah. Simon. And then we get Judas, and that's where the spoiler is, the one who betrayed Jesus. Yeah. Am I am I wrong in thinking that James his brother, Jesus' brother was one of the disciples? Yeah. No, J- James is listed. The, well, there's two James listed, but one is son of Zebedee and the other is son of Alphaeus. Yeah, I don't know. Wouldn't there be a I don't know. I don't know either. Isn't it traditionally known, like understood that the book of James was written by James, Jesus' brother? Now, of course, that might or might not be the case, but I isn't think, that the I traditional? Think there's under- a traditional understanding of that. Yeah. Huh. Was he not one of the twelve? You're asking me questions. I don't know. I should have followed up on that. I'm not I don't sure. Know. Anyway, so these twelve, Jesus sent out with the following instructions, and this. This is good, and this is kind yeah. Of I mean, what the instructions are the whole rest of chapter ten. The, you're exactly, and there right. is 
quality stuff in here. There is. So do not go among the Gentiles or enter any of the towns of the Samaritans. And he probably said that with a smirk on his face because the one time they went over there, they did something pretty awesome, cast out a couple of demons into a herd of swines, and then they were told to get out of town, and they did. But also, like, doesn't it seem like all of the people with the most faith are the Gentiles and Samaritans? And, I mean... So maybe, you know, when Jesus goes, I didn't come to... But it, he doesn't say go. don't go to people who are outsiders. He says don't go to those towns. That's true. That's fair. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Again, I suppose they're the ones that are sick and need a doctor. Yeah. And tell them the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment and give without payment. Take yep. no gold or silver or copper or belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for laborers deserve their food. Oof. Yeah. The worker is worth his salt is what I think that says in Greek. Mine says the worker is worth his keep. But mm. yeah, the point is you should you should be okay being paid for your work. And so you shouldn't have to carry a lot with you. Yeah, you shouldn't have a problem earning your meal each and every day. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. Other translations say blessing, right? Yep. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. Here's what I was talking about earlier. It's exactly what you were saying, and I've never caught that connection, but that's exactly what that is. It's Jesus modeling. When he left the other side of the lake where the town asked him to leave after the pigs all ran in the lake. He did this, verse 14. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Yikes. Yeah. It keeps going. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Yeah, mine says be as wise as serpents. This reminds me of don't judge, but also don't give your pearls to pigs. It's it's exactly what I thought of when I read this. Because I think, again, it's right in that same slot where it's it's be be wise. Mm Mm-hmm. Don't fall for the traps. Mm-hmm. Don't be wasteful. Don't be duped. Don't be tricked. Right. But also be innocent. Be gentle. Yeah. Yeah. Be meek. Be meek. Have mercy. Yeah. 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 Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. There are sometimes when... Because of me. There are sometimes when it's you wonder how much of the text is Jesus speaking to the apostles and how much of the text is Matthew speaking to Matthew's readers Mm. almost a generation or two later when we know that there was significant persecution, you know? Yeah. Not that Jesus didn't say it, but that this is something that Matthew wanted to make sure he included so that people who were currently being persecuted would have hope. I don't know. Again, he said that at the end of the Beatitudes too, you know, be thankful when you're persecuted. Yeah. Just like the prophets before you were. Yeah. Yeah. He keeps going. When they hand you over, don't worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say for what you are to say will be given to you at that time for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you get Mm. a little Trinitarian language there. Hmm. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Yeah. Kind of get the same thing that we've already gotten here. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I tell you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Yeah. Yeah, it keeps going. The student is not above the teacher, nor the servant above his master. It's enough for the students to be like their teachers and the servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of the household? So don't be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, nor hidden that will not be made known. Mm. Mm. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the day. 
what is whispered in your ear proclaimed from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both. I realize we're reading a lot right now, we but are, I feel but like it just, just needs to be read. It does, yeah. And and all of this is stuff that you know you just might not have ever put it together. Like, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's care? How much more valuable are you than sparrows? Even the very hairs of your head are counted. Yeah. Yeah. So it it just it's just one liner after one liner after one liner. These are all very it's, memeable, yeah, tweetable comments. It's almost comments. like prose, but it's not it's yeah. not written like prose. But it, I can hear it being spoken like prose. Mm-hmm. It's wisdom. Jesus is passing on wisdom to his disciples so that they can navigate what he knows is going to be a very difficult journey of mm. ministry for them. Yeah. Yeah. You've probably heard speakers before that you feel like are just masters at speaking in little short quips. You know, like politicians have gotten good at this too because they know that the uh, news cycle is not going to share a five-minute speech. They're going to share a 10-second audio clip, right? With one line and quotations at the bottom of the screen yep. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what this feels like. It feels like quoting Proverbs or something. So, yeah, we get a kind of a more challenging section that comes right after this. Do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword for I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life will find it for my sake. Yeah. There's, there's some language that Jesus is borrowing from Micah here. And it's in a kind of at the end of the book of Micah, Micah chapter seven, verse six, I think just talking about how bad things are going to get before the Messiah comes before God rescues Israel. And, and part of that illustration is that families are going to turn on each other. And so I think Jesus is appropriating this language as a messianic statement to say, that's why I'm here. Yeah. And again, I think it kind of reveals the Jewishness of this gospel and the way Matthew has put it together. I also think it connects some dots, like what we've been talking about this episode, looking back and looking forward. I mean, Mm, there are some parallels to the, let the, let the dead bury their dead. You know, can I go back and bury my father and Jesus's response? And to emphasize also the cost of discipleship, take up your cross and follow me, right? Like that's the cost. It's everything. This is another, you know, chunk of scripture that I think most preachers and teachers kind of avoid like the plague because yeah. it's it's a difficult passage that doesn't really give you a whole lot to work with uh to to make it more palatable. It just it kind of it is what it is. Yeah. I think it does help to realize that Jesus is quoting the Old Testament here, quoting a minor prophet and putting it in that context is a little helpful. It's still hard to read. Yeah, it is. It is helpful that it is a quote from Micah, but it's still hard to read. But I I feel like whenever I preach this, and I feel compelled to say it here, I don't think Jesus is advocating hating your family in a way that you would, you know, be hurtful to your family in any way. That's not who Jesus is. I think it's just a little bit of, maybe um, an exaggerated metaphor in order to just remind everyone exactly the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. And that, you know, when God does a new thing, which is what we believe God is doing in Jesus here, right? Through his life and ministry, there will be people who are stuck in the past, who are stuck in the old way and are resistant to where God is going, which means that you're going to be faced with a choice. Yeah. Yeah. And we know that disagreements like that happen all the time within the walls of homes. A hundred percent. And, and so the question I guess you're really getting at is 
who are you going to choose in that moment? And I think that's what Jesus is trying to get at here. Because, you know, he goes on to say, right? Whoever loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. I mean, one of the things I think we've said here before, and maybe is worth saying in this moment, is all the heroes of the faith in the Hebrew scriptures that we lift up are heroes because they stepped outside of the norm and outside of the family tradition. I mean, Abraham left his family home, right, and went to the promised land. All of them did something like that, and that kind of feels like what this call is, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's a lot of parallels between those stories and what Jesus is saying here, too. So it ends with anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. Anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person receives a righteous person's reward. If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you that person will not lose their reward. And that's where we're going to end for today. That's that's the end. And then of, it's like he slaps them on the bottom and says, "Go out there and get it, guys. Get after them. Go win one for the Gipper. <laughs> <laughs> strap up. Put those helmets on, that's boys. Right, guys. Fasten that. What well, do you think strap. we've been practicing for all summer in the heat? Yeah, yeah, yep. And he sends them out. And you know, one of the things that Matthew doesn't give us, and I really wish he did is the moment when they all came back and then they have like a debrief session, right? Like, I want to hear all the stories from the apostles going, you would not believe what happened, right? Like this crazy thing happened, you know, good, bad, ugly, whatever. Yeah. All the stories, you just don't get that. Or even just the honesty of, I know now that I should have done this, but in the moment I did this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Trying to represent your name. Yeah. I I realize now that I probably didn't do that because I'm sure there was moments like that. Or I was afraid to really step out or, you know, me and -and so-and-so, we went out together and and we kind of, we decided instead to go get ice cream and sit around in the shade or something. I am kind of struck by, you know, I feel like we don't talk a lot about the equipping of the disciples within the gospels during the life of Jesus. We tend to talk about that instead in the book of Acts with the Mm. spread of the early church. Yeah. But it's a really big theme here. I mean, that's a, that is a full chapter of Matthew that is solely committed to the equipping and instruction and the passing on of wisdom from Jesus to the disciples so that they can go out right now, present time, right? And and do the work that Jesus is already doing, that he's already started. I mean, and the charge, the very first line in chapter 10 is uh, authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So again, to your point, we often attribute that to the Holy Spirit it's power after Pentecost, but it seems like Jesus has given that authority here, at least in this gospel. I really am digging your take with the parallel to Moses. That's really intriguing to me. Yeah. I've n- never even just thought about head. that. It just yeah. popped in my head, which probably means it's not true, but <laughs> it's interesting though. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I read that somewhere someday, and it just sat in my subconscious until just now. But that's that's what it felt like. That, and I mean, the obvious teaching for us, especially for you know, lead pastors, is the the temptation is almost toxic. It's to to be the hero, right? Mm-hmm. To be the one man show. And it's like we even see Jesus model. Yeah, the don't an, do that. The antithesis of that. Yeah. When if anyone could have pulled that off, it's probably him. And it's like he's choosing not to. That's a good way to say that. You know what I mean? No, I do. He's choosing to push power down the... the he's choosing to do the hard work, uh, hard work of equipping and developing the yeah. people underneath him so that they can contribute to the kingdom of God rather than... And that's why I wish we saw a debrief like a whole chapter when they come back and it's yeah. like, Hey, how did it go guys? Tell me your wins and your losses. Right. Yeah. But we don't get that. Yeah. So here we go, guys. We saw Jesus talk the talk last week and now we're seeing Jesus walk the walk. Are we three? This is episodes our third, in? Yeah, yeah. third episode of Matthew. And we're going to do eight. So almost halfway next there. next week we get halfway there. Yep. Wow. 
It's flying by. Golly, it's so much fun, too. I love it. Thank you guys for listening. Is there something we need to wrap up with? I don't think so. I mean, I think we've kind of allowed ourselves to go down some rabbit holes throughout the episode. I think, you know, we can kind of regroup on some big themes. The commentary of faith that we saw throughout this section of scripture, right? The disciples' faith versus the faith of those seeking healing and the faith of the crowd. Who's in and who's out. Yep, who's in and who's out. I think this kind of tension between looking back and looking forward is something that I would also call a handrail through this section. Yep. Um, And then the equipping of the disciples. I mean, that was a whole third of our reading for today was was Jesus passing wisdom down to to people who want to be a part of the kingdom of God. You know, for those that are counting, this is the, I think we already said it, the second kind of sermon out of five that Jesus is going to give, but it's real different in the sense that the first one was given to the crowds, like the masses. And this one is given just to his followers, just to the inner circle. Yeah. Yep. And so it, it's a little more prescriptive. Maybe it's a little Mm -hmm. more challenging. Maybe. Yeah, and I I would say that it is even more direct than yeah. uh, the Sermon on the Mount. It's well, and it's also very narrowly defined because this one has a goal, where the other one was just the Sermon on the Mount is just how to live, right? This one is not just how to live; it's how to go and make other disciples. Mm-hmm. Wow, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Well, that's Matthew 8 through 10, guys. Next week, we cover 11, 12, 13, and 14, I think. Perhaps. Yeah, Yeah. something like that. Sounds about right. We'll catch you all next week. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you later. Bye.